Today's podcast is brought to you by newspapers.com, the ultimate destination for exploring the mysteries of the past. If you're fascinated by true crime, get ready to dive into the stories that made headlines. Newspapers.com offers a billion pages of historical newspapers from the U.S. and beyond, and you can search the entire collection in seconds. Their vast newspaper collection is a goldmine for eyewitness accounts, crime scene photos, news reports, and more. Whether you're interested in famous crimes or long-forgotten cases, Newspapers.com gives you a front-row seat to more than 300 years of history. For our listeners, Newspapers.com has a special offer. Use the code CUPOFMURDER for an exclusive 20% discount on your subscription. That's promo code CUPOFMURDER at Newspapers.com. Sign up today and start unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, What? more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. The scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. What happens when a case has too many suspects? On December 1st, 1971, three men met their bloody end in a case that solved far too many individuals who might have wanted them dead. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On December 1st, 1971, a man named John Carnes arrived at 1318 North LaSalle Street in Indianapolis to check on business partners Bob Gears and Bob Hinson. Both men owned B&B Microfilm Service and, to the shock of their employees, had not shown up for work on that particular morning. Living together at the LaSalle residence, their secretary Louise said both men stayed late the night before working on an important project, and she assumed that they were going to come in a little later than usual to sleep it off. However, when time passed and no one could contact either man, John was sent out to do a wellness check. Walking up to the door, he noticed it sat ajar, and he let himself in. He later described what he found to police as, quote, inhuman. Lying there with their throats slit and hands and feet bound were 34-year-old Robert Bob Gears, 30-year-old Robert Bob Hinson, and friend and fellow businessman, 27-year-old James C. Barker. Each man was found in a different room of the house, Bob Hinson in the front bedroom, Bob Gears in the back bedroom, and James in the bathroom between the two, and it looked as though each man were struck in the head, 
before having their throats sliced from ear to ear. Arriving at the grisly scene, police managed to find a bloody boot print they realized must have belonged to their killer. But other than this particular clue, there really wasn't much else to go off of. Realizing that their suspect had already gotten a pretty decent head start, investigators started asking around to find out who could have wanted these three men dead. A person or persons who, with no sign of a forced entry, likely knew the men and was invited inside. When the bodies were brought to the Marion County Coroner's Office, who determined that a, quote, long-bladed instrument caused their, quote, almost instantaneous death, the case of who killed James Barker, Bob Gierce, and Bob Hinson became one of Indiana's most intriguing unsolved cases. While investigators worked, they soon ran into a troublesome dead end. While in most stories, friends and family have a hard time finding someone who could have wanted a victim dead, in this particular case, the list of enemies made by the three men was almost too long to count. Running into the problem of too many suspects, it seemed that the men, all friends, were in a private competition to see just how many women each could bed that year, with a grand prize of a steak dinner. According to a former police officer and author of a book on the case, Captain Robert Snow, the men had a scorecard that totaled 63 different women. According to freelance journalist Carol Schultz, who launched her own investigation in the 1990s, a man named Carol Horton might just be responsible for the murders. Claiming his ex-wife, Diane, was seen weeping outside the LaSalle Street house by an Indianapolis star photographer the day of the brutal discovery, the journalist befriended the woman while she was still working with police detective John W. Layton. Believing that the husband flew into a rage after learning of his wife's involvement with Bob Gierce, Carol was actually indicted for the murders and charged in 1996. But finding the case, quote, literally impossible to prosecute, everything was eventually dropped against both he and his co-defendant, Floyd Michael Chastain. Floyd, who admitted to wanting to get out of the Florida prison he was residing in, allegedly testified that it was former President Richard Nixon who plotted the murders and that they were carried out by the vanished labor leader, Jimmy Hoffa. It was later revealed that in court, Detective Layton admitted to instructing Carol Schultz to tell Carol Horton that his fingerprints were found at the scene despite knowing that this was false. With Carol herself admitting to negotiating a book deal, movie contract, and being offered $1 million for her story, a lot of criticism was thrown her way when the case against Carol Horton completely fell apart. Though this particular scorned partner didn't seem to pan out, there was still a long list of other women who they led to their beds and the men who might have wanted revenge. With dozens of scorned women, jilted lovers, and angry partners on the list, investigators were overwhelmed by the sheer number of potential suspects. On top of all of that, they soon learned that both Bobs quit their previous jobs for a Jasper businessman, Ted Uland, in order to start their own business. And according to investigators, might have taken some money, equipment, and accounts along with them. According to the book written about the case by Robert Snow, Ted Uland took out a $150,000 life insurance policy on both of his former employees, policies that were due to expire within a week of their murders. Seeming pretty sketchy at the time, between the payout and the theft, Ted became a pretty decent suspect. 
especially when investigators learned that he had a key to the men's home and admitted that he knew they had stolen from him. However, Ted, rock-solid alibi in hand, was later cleared as a suspect, was allowed to collect the insurance payouts, and died sometime in the 1990s. Despite this, Robert Snow wrote his belief that his former colleagues got it right in the beginning and that Ted Uland must have hired someone to kill Bob Gears and Bob Hinson. James C. Barker, who was visiting his friends, seemed to simply be collateral damage. The problem was no one could quite figure out who exactly the hired hitman was, and unable to tie it to Ted Uland, the suspicion became nothing more than a theory. Then in 2001, a man named Fred Harbison wrote a letter claiming that he was the man hired to complete the job, and that Ted, already deceased by now, never paid him for his work. Unfortunately, Fred himself died just a few years before this letter could ever be delivered. Found in a safe deposit box after his death, Fred said he couldn't exactly go to police or sue the man for not paying him without implicating himself in the murders, but did claim in the letter that he left behind a footprint at the scene, a detail that police kept close to the vest and did not release to the public. Claiming he buried the boots in question, his own wife would later confirm that she remembered her husband talking about the burial. Though witnesses claimed to have seen a yellow car parked outside of the house, and documents prove that Fred Harbison owned a yellow Plymouth Roadrunner at the time, with his death and the death of Ted Uland, there was no way to corroborate the claims, and the case once again hit a dead end. Though both of these theories have their groups of believers, who are steadfast that theirs is the correct one, with each side believing that the case is, quote, closed, with most involved already deceased, no one has, or likely will ever be, prosecuted. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on December 2nd. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.